You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show. So, my name's Emma Hurd, and I'm your host for today's show. I hope everyone out there listening is staying dry in this wet weather. And I have the great pleasure of introducing Greg Balderston from Forest Glade Garden in Mount Macedon. Welcome, Greg. And we've got Ben Booker here from Treasured Perennials Nursery in Gippsland. Good morning. Morning. Good to see you. And we've got Virginia Haywood. Welcome back. She's our guide from the Royal Botanic Gardens. Good morning, everybody. And what a weather. Oh, it was raining as we came down. And um, maybe there's a problem with Virginia's mic. Sorry. Let's start with the plant this morning. <laughs> ben, what have you brought in? Uh, I've brought a few things in. Um, probably one I'd like to talk about is probably the um, cochula. So something we've been selling a lot of um, over the last couple of couple of weeks with the, all the expos. It's uh, it's one I find it's uh, probably one of the most touched plants. Every time people see it, they actually will walk so, past it and yeah, it's very uh, tactile. Touch it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it was actually when we first first started doing the shows. Um, my wife Kerry, she uh, was talking to a, a lady that had a, a blind child, and uh, and she uh, got him to to touch it. Yep. And, uh, yeah, he just absolutely, he just wouldn't let go of it. Yeah, he just yeah. loved touching it. So, yeah. It is beautiful. Is that a New Zealand native, that one, is it? It's Not this one. one. The... This is actually a South African one. South, South yeah, African. Yeah, okay. so, so it's, it's yeah, I, I, th- I couldn't, I can't remember if I used to grow that one or one that's very similar to that. Yeah. But I always thought it was from New Zealand for some reason, but. Uh, yeah, there's over, I think, about nearly 60 varieties yeah, yeah. of the cochula. Yep. Uh, and they're related to cultures. the billy buttons, the Australian billy buttons too, I think. Are they in the same part of the Aster family as Yeah, the Aster family, yeah, yeah. 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 So, but, uh, I mean, they look delicate um, when you look at the, the actual ferny sort of type of leaf. Yeah, yeah. They're actually quite hardy. Very hardy, yeah. So, one of the things I think, um, they, they just handle really dry sort of soils or really hot, harsh conditions really well. Yeah, so we do like a hardy plant. We yeah. do, so, and, and the and the beautiful little yellow flowers floating above that too. When they when they go into flowers, are quite a nice little uh, additive as well. So you've got the the foliage all year round, pretty much. But then 
uh, yeah, when they're in flower, you get these little golden orbs sort yeah, of floating, yeah, just floating tiny, above little, the... Yeah, little buttons, yeah, yeah. which are I, just tiny. I think it's yeah. so important to remember that the flowers are only part of the plant. You know, if, mm. if you don't have good foliage or good structure in some other way, if it's not the texture or yeah. the, the look up, like I have um, the... Pride of the Incas, which is out at the moment, and it's the Cantua, Buxifolia, and it's mm. absolutely fabulous. Yeah, beautiful. Absolutely flowers. fabulous. Yeah. But it is the most boring plant. It is a pretty ugly plant, that's for sure. <laughs> and I've got the, the pink one and the yellow one, and the yellow one is just beautiful. Yeah. But and, and no matter what you do to prune it, to thicken it up, it doesn't thicken no. up. <laughs> well, mine's thick, but it's just... Ugly. Yeah, they're, they're it is not, an ugly plant. It is an ugly plant, mm. yeah, for sure. But as you say, there's some things where you can plant an ugly plant in amongst other nicer plants. Exactly. So when it does flower, it's like, oh, those flowers are beautiful. And then you don't look at it for the rest well, of the Well, it's... it's <laughs> as a background. Yeah, yeah. 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 As yeah. It's out in the botanic gardens at the moment. And it just... The botanic gardens is looking truly fabulous at the moment. Mm. And, the, and there's a, a sensory garden. And it's got so many things out at the moment. It's just really quite exciting. And you can see from the sensory garden two big stands of um, Cantua, Buxifolia, mm -hmm. which, as I said, is called the Pride of the Incas. Yeah. And the rest of the year you wouldn't even notice them because they're just up there in, the, in those beds. Mm. But at the moment they just stand out and the sensory garden is just looking fabulous. It's got this Japanese persimmon in it, oh, okay. which I've never seen before. Mm. Oh, I've fallen in love. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love when plants have that effect on you. Absolutely beautiful. So yeah. if you're near the Botanic Gardens at any stage, listeners, I think it's really worth a visit at the moment. But I think now's the time to sort of get out and just really look at the garden. Mm. So, I mean, not so much the f flowers, it's the foliage. You can really sort of make a garden too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, speaking yeah. of the Botanic Gardens, it's a good cue to get into community announcements because... This Sunday, today, they're having their plant sale, which is lovely. Uh, and that's taking place at the Growing Friends Nursery. They're fully restocked for the Bumper Spring Sale. And there are plants galore ready for everyone this weekend. Um, you can enter the via e-gate and the plant sale will be on the lawn just inside. And catalogues are available. Uh, so... Get online and have a look at the catalogue or just show up. Just rock up and, and enjoy. And as Virginia said, visit the sensory garden mm. and, and all the gardens within the botanic gardens. We've also got the Fernie Creek Hort Society's Flower Festival showing up, uh, turning up on the 22nd and 23rd of October. Um, I actually... If anyone out there is a Fernie Creek Hort Society member, they put a call out, please, to come to their working bee, which is happening this morning. So if you're a member, I just thought I'd put that out there, um, visit them and you can help them get ready for the plant, the flower show. They're at 100 Hilton Road in Sassafras. Uh, but if you would just like to visit the plant show... Um, that's on the 22nd and 23rd of October. They're going to have flower displays that will be judged in the hall. And then they've also got photographic displays and a beautiful guided walk around the gardens. And, of course, they'll have plant sales. And you're, are you going to be there, Ben? 
not a no, not a no. Creek. No, no, no that'll be in um, autumn. We're back at yeah, Ferny Creek. Lovely, but yeah. you have a show coming up in Wandon. Yeah, on the fifth and sixth. So we're sort of yeah, we've done all the other shows, and now we're preparing for for Wandon. So we've got a lot of lot of new things coming along, and we'll... and that'll be your last one for spring. For this season, yeah, yeah. Mm. Then we, yeah, then we back in. Uh, uh, I think the yeah, first one's in Whittlesey. Then, yeah, then we in autumn. A, in autumn, yeah. Mm. So, which is a new one. That's only just sort of uh, that started up last year. Yeah. So, but that was sort of on the state work that worked out on the same day as Fernie Creek. So we didn't do Whittlesey, but I think this year we're going to well, next year be we're able gonna, to do both. Yeah, mm. do them both. Yeah, because the Fernie Creek one is a very good one. At it is in autumn. It's a fabulous yeah. sale. Yeah, mm. just a beautiful sort of scenery with the gardens. It's so it's nice to sort of, yeah, yeah go it's, and have it do it's the... It's a wonderful garden. It is an extraordinary thing that there is such a wonderful garden provided by um, a, a, a garden club. Mm. Well, just beautiful old trees mm. as well. Yeah. So, and that's... You need and to have a look. Yes. Yeah. And there's free parking and there's food available and there's lovely people. It's just a really nice vibe. And I love the sausages. I don't eat sausages, but when I go to Ferny Creek, I eat sausages. And I must admit, I used to go to Bunnings for no other reason. Yeah. <laughs> well, the plant sales continue because we've got the Friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens in Cranbourne are having their famous plant sale. Now, that's taking place on the 22nd and 23rd of October from 10 a.m. till 4 p.m. And it's at the Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria Cranbourne, the corner of Bellato Road and Botanic Drive in Cranbourne. They're going to have a wide range of Australian plants in tubes and larger pots for sale. And it's a great opportunity to purchase plants that look, that you're found in the Australian garden, which some of them are quite rare. So it's a, it's a good, good one to visit and purchase some plants. Uh, one that's a, a little bit, down the road is the Garden Design Fest. So that's coming up in November on the 12th to the 13th. I won't give too many details about that, but visit their website. That's the Garden Design Fest. If you type it into Google, you'll find it. And um, start planning which gardens you might like to visit because there's up to 40 gardens going to be on show throughout that weekend so if you love visiting gardens then it's going to be a good good weekend and if you additionally want to get your garden designed uh, it's a good opportunity to meet some designers and chat to them and see if they've got any room in their schedule so that's that'll be a good one um, now we've also got wonderful open gardens victoria today so we've got Uccello Lane, and that is in Eltham, Acacia Ridge in Donvale, King Garden in Ashburton, and you can hop on to the Open Gardens Victoria website for all the details to those. They're just open for today. Uh, we've got a free double pass available from Open Gardens Victoria. Uh, that is for next weekend, the 22nd and the 23rd of October. So you can see a lot of things happening next weekend. But if you would like to call in, uh, we've got to give away... Um, Two of them are in Gippsland, which is a three-hour drive from Melbourne. Um, one of them 
is near me in the Yarra Valley, which I suppose yeah. is an hour drive from Melbourne. So we've got Villa Redwood and that's... Raywood. Oh, sorry, Raywood. Uh, 26 Melbourne Highway in Yering in the Yarra Valley. So that's the one that's near Eugene. Yeah. It's a formal garden using traditional European garden design with avenues that are featured in this gorgeous garden. Also a Japanese-inspired garden with a lovely perennial border. The large vegetable garden has 20 raised beds and the substantial orchard features many features many types of fruit trees, including quince, nuts and apples. It has a unique netting system that demonstrates an excellent use of space. So that could be a really good one if you are thinking of starting an orchard because, as we know, fruit fly is becoming more of an issue. So having a unique netting system sounds like a good plan. The other two gardens, as Jin mentioned, are in Gippsland and there's one near Bamsdale. Uh, the first is Emu Park in Robertson's Lane. That's Lindnow South near Bansdale. The homestead is surrounded by a grand veranda dripping with wisteria, with the garden having beautiful roses and arbours throughout. Ornamental gardens contain colourful cottage plants, mature Chinese elms, silver birch, apple gums, red gums and a maple walk with a colourful smoke bush which are dotted throughout the expansive lawns. Mass-planted succulents look quite at home amongst cottage plants. Leading down towards the stone gate, the garden becomes more park-like, with oval beds and grasses, kangaroo paws and balls of wistringer, well-placed sculptures, slabs of sandstone, lichen-covered rocks, log seats and a huge water bowl surrounded by long-legged metal birds invite the visitor to wander. So that sounds like a lovely one. And then finally, we've got Yurungna, which is 235 Mount Lookout Road in Mount Taylor. On this property, a massive Morton Bay fig greets you at the entrance. Japanese maples, a silver pear tree and a cocinia are just some of the beautiful trees spread around this large property. Magnificent vistas between the trees lead to the mountains. Succulents and grasses abound, including Miscanthus, Penicetum, as well as the Carl Foster's Calamagrostis, can all be seen nodding their heads in the breeze. So let's hope for good weather. Uh, the, the plants person will find floral treasures while roaming through this Mediterranean-inspired garden, but the greatest treasure of all is Shirley herself, who is still gardening at 94 years of age. All three gardens are open from 10am till 4.30pm. Adults are $10, students are $6, under-18s are free, and more information can be found via Open Gardens Victoria, and you'll be directed to try booking or you can pay on the day. So... I must say the thing that leaps out me there is this is the silver pear i just think that is such a beautiful plant it's, it's always in gippsland that i've tended to see it i also used mm. to see it a lot in london yeah. it was often planted out the front of victorian houses because it's not a really big tree mm. is that got the slight weeping habit it's a weeping habit mm. and a very I've got one at home and it's ugly <laughs> it's the ugliest <laughs> thing i have in my garden why i don't know it just it's always just been a really hideously ugly tree 
maybe I've had it in the right wrong spot. It's just never done anything. Because like, when right. I've gone to open gardens in Gippsland, I've often seen them and thought that is so beautiful. Yeah, Why right. do I never see it around Melbourne? Mm. Mm. And I have no answer to that because I can't see that it it's is. It's very tough. It's it's de- definitely tough. But I, I probably just put it in the wrong spot. I think, and it's just never filled out or, um, yeah. So it would be well, chop it down, Greg. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it might well, still be shiftable. If listeners want the opportunity to see one for themselves, um, I'll just finish off the the spiel. Um, There's a free double pass available for each of these three gardens. So please call in on 94190155 right now and talk to Doug, our producer. He'll help you get connected with your free tickets. Yes, I think think Open Gardens is – it's a wonderful thing that – that we do in the state actually enable people to go into private gardens because it's private private gardens are just different to um i, I mean the botanic gardens and and state and parks they're all mm. they're wonderful and the ones that are open as part of a commercial enterprise they're wonderful but private gardens are just different mm. and it's exciting to go and look at them i think i think too if you live next door to a garden that's open because I, I find this up in Mount Masson a little bit when they have big open garden events there, and a lot of the locals get pretty upset about the traffic. But one thing that if you are a neighbour of one of these gardens that's open a fair bit or opens occasionally or attracts a lot of people is that you live in a beautiful place and a lot of the people that come and visit don't. don't. Mm. And that's why they're there. And that's probably why you moved there in the first place as well in a lot of instances because they are beautiful places and to give up a, a, a bit of time... Uh, so other people can so share. So other people can share it and, and yeah. get out of the city or, you know, wherever they're at uh, to enjoy something like that, which they can't regularly do, is um, something that they should have access to rather than just being an annoying few on the weekend a little bit, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it is really important to be sharing and if you, yeah, whether you live in that area or you're visiting, be mindful of others. Yeah. It is annoying with all the extra traffic for sure. I totally understand. But But I thought it was... If if you haven't got access to that ever Mm. and that one or two times a year, uh, this is your opportunity once or twice a year to get out um, Mm. and see a garden or something, yeah, just... uh, I think also um, last weekend at Macedon they actually used um, some buses to actually try and mitigate against yeah, that. Yeah, they do that on the on the really busy weekends. And when they've done the secret gardens of the Dandenongs, because the Dandenongs in Mount Macedon particularly... Um, They're not designed diffi- for high traffic. No, <laughs> which with the Dandenongs always worries me when I think of the next time the fires hit because there's not a single wide road in the mm. Dandenongs. Yeah, especially for mm. all the rain that we've been getting too, so that's going to put a lot of growth on. So, mm. yeah. Before we continue on, it was remiss of me in my haste starting the show. I introduced you all, but we've had a caller want to know a little bit more about each of you. So if we could start with Ben and talk a little bit about your court credentials and who you are, where you're from. This is Ben Booker. Yeah, so I started uh, in New South Wales. I I worked in a big retail nursery up there for uh, probably a good, what, 14 years? 
um, I was a plant buyer for them, so I was basically shipped all over the country to buy plants for this, this nursery. That gives you a good footing in horticulture. You learn pretty quick when you're well, buying. that's it. But I, I studied um, the uh, horticulture at Charles Stewart University through correspondence because I still wanted to work full-time, and but I wanted to further my studies and that, so so I did my, my studies through Charles Stewart University. Um, and then I just, I think I wanted a bit of a sea change, so I, I actually moved down here, uh, worked for a big retail nursery here as a manager, um, didn't really particularly like that because there's a lot of politics and that involved with it, so I got out of that one pretty quick and yeah, then started pretty well my own my own nursery and, uh, and landscaping, so I met Kerry and she had a, a, a big passion for, for unusual plants as well, so... So we sort of, sort of connected You've that grown, way as well. You've grown the business together. We have, yes. Yeah, oh, well, Kerry, well. She, she's fantastic what she does. So she, she does a lot of the, uh, the, the background or a lot of the work as well. So, but, um, well, we're so glad that you met each other and you started Treasured Perennials. So it's yeah. just a wonderful, wonderful nursery. And we're, we're growing. So um, we're, we're just getting new and more new stuff coming through. So before this, uh, the phytosanitary certificate come in, in place, um, we did order a lot of seed, and I've I've still got stuff coming through that's it's new. Do you so want to, to triage it so you're sowing stuff that goes off quick first, and then stuff that might last a few years? You can leave that till next year or something or the year after, and yeah. work your way through it uh, yeah. by uh, how long it's uh, uh, la- it's got uh, the seed shelf life. You can. Uh, yeah, maybe expand it out a few years rather than having to do it in one year. But it's funny because, like, if I when I order the seed from overseas, and it's like I may get like maybe twenty percent sort of strike rate with it, mm. but when I get it growing and I can get it seed myself, I get around about eighty ninety percent strike rate with with the actual uh, the germination of the seed. Yeah. Do you think so, that's because of a um, because the seasons are different? Well, yeah, it's climatizing. So uh, I find. The more I actually sow seeds, the hardier the plant will actually get. Mm. Uh, it's sort of more climatised to our It's almost our like evolution's a thing. Well, you got it. Yeah, yeah we, we've got to do <laughs> it. Works, so, yeah, yeah. Because you notice that with, I mean, there are a lot of imported bulbs mm. and they tend oh, so, not yeah. to come the next year. No. Yeah. It's not, mm. a, so like, some, not a good buy necessarily. Some bulbs are quite suitable for that, but uh, like colchicums, you, I've had uh, colchicums that were imported overseas that were sold to me that two years later they were all dead. And yes. they're like $10 a bulb colchicums and yeah. I bought quite a lot of them <laughs> and within two years they're all dead, yeah. And you think this was because that they was came from overseas? Because yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. they are they are exactly a season mm. out, you know. Mm. I mean, that, their spring is our autumn and mm. it is a, the six big six months. Mm. I'm but, sorry, anyway, Greg, yeah, no, no, I you was, should... I, I think interrupted Ben. Yeah. yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> I think it's very important, I think, with seed because it, it actually, the, the plant will, every time you actually sow a seed, uh, every year, it climatizes a lot better to our climate. Um, well, the, the best ones germinate. Well, they do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the best ones and germinate and grow on. Because there is climate change, they're going to be a lot more suitable for, mm. for that, that, that coming yep. sort of seasons. So, so, Ben, do you mind explaining for the listeners those certificates that have come through? Does that mean that those seeds will never be allowed to be brought in again, or is that uh, for a certain time period, Phyto, the phytosanitary, yes. it's uh, it's permanent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, there is some companies overseas that will do it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's all they've got to inspect 
to make sure that there's no any you know beetles or any fungal problems coming in and make sure it's the right uh, species coming in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a big process, very expensive. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of companies overseas decided not to do it because it's just not sort of economical for them. And mm-hmm. um, all they're because you find a lot of these growers that are overseas, they're they're only small. They're not not big companies. Yeah. So it's especially just not... when you're getting rare plants too. Yeah. Like if, yeah. if you're Bunnings and you want to import ten thousand or you know a hundred thousand white azaleas or <laughs> something like that, you can literally have them in the country on the shelf in about three days. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. If you're a plant collector and you want to import some seed off something that's almost extinct in the wild and only three growers grow it in North America or something, yeah, you're you're got a hard battle ahead of you of filling yeah. out papers <laughs> which is it's pretty important stuff really it is but i think it's i personally reckon it's the wrong way of doing it because i reckon they're going to start getting more people to smuggle in mm. a lot of seed like overseas i'll see something that's beautiful i want it mm. i mean you can go and buy a packet of seeds and they'll try and smuggle it in encourage and, a black market and, and, the, yeah, and, do it people and that's going to bring in the d- diseases yep. well, uh, and one of insects. the real one of so. the problems for example is that tomatoes in italy mm. have got a virus so bringing in seed, you you know, you can easily bring a virus in in seed. Yeah. So, so I, I honestly reckon they should have made it a, a, not easier, um, but it should be monitored a lot better. So I, I said to Gary, I said, I'd be happy if I wanted seed and they hung on to that packet for three or four weeks or five weeks and took seeds out to test it and all that sort of stuff. I'd be happy with that. Mm. So mm. I, I just, yeah, there's a lot of things it, I disagree well, with. It's, so. it's, it's it is easier for Bunnings. Yeah. You know, it has been balanced to the big the business. Problems yeah. are going to come in through mm. those ones, not through someone importing 10 fritillaria seeds. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so it's, it's. But that it, is, a, it is also a really serious problem. It is. When, yeah, I, it when I was in Hawaii, there was a, um, something that had come in. I can't remember what it was now, but it had only come in. It had come in with the biggest supermarket mm. and in the late 90s. Mm. Now, I mean, that's ridiculous that big supermarkets are importing pests. Mm. This was a pest mm. in, in the 90s, but that's what had happened. And uh, so it, it is something that has to be taken very seriously. Yes, yes. We certainly don't want that virus that's in tomatoes in Italy. Mm. We don't need that but, in but our tomatoes. But as you tomatoes. say, the, the likelihood is that those are going to come in through big business rather than through... Uh, so the chances of these... Nazis coming well, in are often through the big business stuff. Yeah. or, 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 at the, or yeah, at the or bottom of the suitcase. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So I think if they regulated it a lot better, mm. made it easy for these growers to, to bring stuff in that, that's of low it's, risk or yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think at least that, if they can monitor, that's mm. that's all they need to do. Yeah, that way, and they'll have a better idea what's coming in, in and out of the country. So mm. yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Well, Greg, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit more? Um, I, I started off as a, well, I've always liked plants since I was a little kid and a bit of a bulb collector. And then, uh, I left school at 16 and, and became, uh, my only out of school education was in commercial cut flower growing, which I worked at on a, a flower farm for a few, uh, for about six or seven years. Um, and then since then I've just sort of worked for myself in gardens and, had a nursery for a little while, travel nursery, and now I've sort of fallen backwards into uh, fungi ecology and doing talks on those sorts of things as well. So um, no real 
proper training of any sort, just like interested and mm. uh, always keen to learn something new and, and understand something a little bit better and observe and yeah, just be interested in, in the natural world and stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's so at the moment I'm, I'm working at uh, Forest Clay Gardens a couple of days a week um, and a few other little gardens up around Mount Macedon and mm. Wood End and uh, yeah, pretty good life really. Yeah, well, <laughs> last time I was at Forest Glade, which was about four weeks ago, I noticed they're doing a lot of drainage works. Yes. So that's yeah, no, it's, the rain wasn't too bad up there. Uh, once it scours out the driveway in a certain fashion, that's about mm. – uh, it was nice steady rain. Not nice steady rain. It was a lot of steady rain <laughs> for 38 hours or something. But, um, uh, but yeah, the, the drainage isn't too bad up there. Uh, oh, the the lawn has been torn up because they've they've just put it. We've put in a um, an automated watering system on the on the top half of the property property. So that's probably what all the trenches yeah. and things were for. You yep. won't need a watering system at the moment. No, no, <laughs> no. Maybe not at all this year. Even future proofing. Yeah. Did you get down into the fern gully? I've just finished I, a project down yeah. in the fern gully. I uh, wanted to bring that up with yeah. you. So from what I could tell, it, it was still cordoned off, but okay. a tree has fallen. And you've created this lovely seating nook. Yeah, so so we had some heavy windstorms just over 12 months ago and it knocked out uh, five or six big eucalyptus obliquas, um, like 100-year-old trees. This it's one's so yeah, big. This one would be about 100, 120 years old. And this Sad particular one it. was on a rock shelf uh, uh, and basically it just ripped off the rock, the underlying rock, but it also ripped out about 15 or 20 metres of footpath and flung it down into the bottom of the fern gully <laughs> mm. and left this huge crater. And so the, the, it was like, well, what are we going to do here? And Did it happen overnight? Uh, well, the tree fell over in probably yeah. a couple of seconds, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was... At least yeah. there was no one in the garden. That's what... <laughs> well, I was, in, I was the only one in the garden the night before and mm. it was getting pretty hairy when I left at 5.30. Oh, so I was, yeah, I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be down here, like, yeah. you know, in the garden underneath these big eucalypts. Uh, Good decision to trust your gut on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so, the, yeah, the two options were to put a bridge across, which would have cost a fortune and just been functional. And uh, functions not necessary. No, <laughs> and uh, and I was able to um, convince uh, the the um, board of trustees to go with something that might be a bit more aesthetically pleasing. Mm, yeah, and I can cost about to the that. same, but at least it's it's nice as well, rather, yeah. rather than just being functional. It looks lovely, and the the staircase leading up looks like it has beautiful, like there's gorgeous metalwork. And yeah, so a local uh, blacksmith uh, metal artist, uh, Charlie Aquilina, did all the handrails there, and I'm not sure was the statue in place when. No, so, not when so I it's was now there. got a Rodin statue in the middle of it, like a, oh, a wow. it's a three quarter casting Rodin statue in the middle of it, which I'm pretty happy I've made a, a framework for a Rodin work. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, Forest Glade is quite. Famous for its statues. Yeah. Some of them are pretty bad, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a wide variety. And you've got bronzes and marbles. Yeah. and There's some absolutely stunning statues there, yeah. uh, especially in the house, too. If, you, if anyone ever gets a chance, the house is often opened for it's, – it's essentially a museum mm. uh, and quite an impressive one. Um, and 
yeah, the, the statues outside range from uh, Rodan and I can never remember the guy's name. There's a, a statue called a Huntsman and His Dogs, which is a, a life-size bronze casting, absolutely stunning. Uh, um, and there's some beautiful marble statues around the garden. Mm. And there's also some some statues that look like they came from copper art in the 80s. Yeah. Um, they're real bad. <laughs> but that, that explains the owner who created it. Yeah, it's was, a mixed didn't have bag. the best taste. He just liked buying stuff. So, um, and, and it's also interesting too because I can say they're terrible, but when people go in the garden, often the most uh, photographed and enjoyed statues in the garden are what I would consider probably some of the worst statues yeah. in the garden. So There's one with three children on a log mm. that people love. Yeah. And that's that's probably one that's a little bit kitsch. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but also I think the planting can make a not good and statue look actually, actually much better. And actually. I really think in that scenario it is because yeah. it's a beautiful little meadow under an oak. Well, it's a bluebell paddock which yeah. uh, they're all just starting to hit their colour just this week, so if yeah. you go up there in the next week or so, that bluebell lawn is uh, makes them look a lot better. Yeah, yeah, um, it's really gorgeous. Yeah, so so even the uh, often notice that the statues that you see people taking their photograph with the most are some of the less good ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there's also a beautiful Japanese garden. Yeah, and no, I've uh, garden. luckily had a fair bit to do with that over the mm. years too. I've uh, uh, built about a third, nearly a half of that now. There's a, a, mm. a nice little, uh, I'll call it a, a bonsai rock garden, but yeah. it's just a, a, a miniature landscape where the trees are clipped. Um, so it looks like they're bonsais and there's waterfalls and rocks and things. Yeah. Um, so I built that about 10 years ago. It's really nicely done. Yeah, and, and um, there's a, a nice uh, stepping stone pond there which people really enjoy as well. Um, and yeah, lots yeah, of people taking photos yes, down there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so the Japan, I'd say the Japanese garden is probably one of the places that you must visit while you're there. So mm-hmm. If you've missed out on the Japanese garden, you've actually missed a big part of the garden. And you can miss it if you decide to go down to mm. the bottom one way and then walk back up that same way. You can miss the yep. Japanese garden. So try and do a circle. Well, it's, it's around. 15 acres, so yes. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's easy to miss stuff, but yeah. don't miss the Japanese garden. Or if you, yeah. you can miss most of the other things, but don't miss that. That's uh, it, very nice. As you continue down, if you go down via the Japanese garden, if you keep going a bit lower, there's a lovely sort of tranquil pond that the water flows into lower down and so there's just this connection with the water that's so so lovely it's Mm. really you've you've done it very well well i i didn't do most of that but um (laughs) it has been done use the water in the garden and 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 the other thing is too is that the garden has been uh as i say the the owner cyril um who who sort of made the garden what it is today wasn't great on taste and mm. and he just wanted things done and he wanted this and he wanted that and he wanted it yesterday. Yeah. And now the garden's got time to start settling into itself. It's had 30-odd mm. years of just, you know, there's something like 45,000 rhododendrons in the place that yeah, were planted wow. over, you know, since Ash Wednesday. Um, so there's a and lot gone on. probably some quite rare ones. Yeah, yeah. 
so a lot's gone on in 30-odd years, and now it's got time to settle out and settle into its bones and... Mm. And take the, out some of the uh, less yeah, fantastic... Yeah, the stuff that hasn't done well or is a bit weak mm. or, you know, doesn't pull its weight, mm. can slowly get removed or thinned out or shifted around. That's a very exciting time. part in, in gardening when, you're, so, when yeah. your garden's old enough to yeah. actually start to see the structure yep. and, and... And bring out the nice bits and take out and, the... And, of course, work. you overplant when it's new and young because you don't want big gaps, but yep. you plant knowing you're going to take stuff out yes, later. yeah. Mm. I don't think he knew, but... <laughs> <laughs> is Cyril still with us? Uh, he actually died recently, yeah. Oh. yeah. So, so it was uh, it's only a month or a couple of months ago. Um, well, but I as it's... I say, it was a great thing to leave behind. Um, mm. And even it'll better... Come in, it'll, it'll definitely come in to... And it, it's been preserved. Because yes, one of the great yeah. tragedies is that gardens just get... People move on from their garden because they can't manage it anymore. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there was a wonderful garden up in the Dandenongs that some people from Queensland moved in and the first thing they did was just, with no waiting the to garden, see what it was like, and they just started taking things out. The garden I grew up in, which was one of the oldest gardens on Mount Macedon, um, uh, a couple of months ago got levelled. Oh, no. With the new owners, yeah. They, they just got an excavator and just levelled the whole garden. Oh, that's and you'll find once they, they replant it out, it'll be just very generic. And it'll, I think it's going to be box hedges and silver birches. Yeah, it's just very generic. <laughs> and it's like, it's, you wonder why they buy those properties. It's, I just, um, it just baffles me. Yeah. Go and buy a block of land and it's vacant and, mm. yeah, and make that and, beautiful. And, and yeah, the exactly. gar- this garden was planted out by the uh, main plant importer for Taylor's and Sanks' nursery oh, in, no. the 1800, in the 1860s, 1870s it was planted. So there's some – because because there's there are things that were available then mm. that are just not available now. The only mm. thing I can see that they've left, luckily, is a very rare uh, maple, a Japanese uh, – not a Japanese maple, but a, a, maple, a species of maple from Japan um, – and I saw Don Teese actually managed to get some cuttings off it years ago. Oh, and I didn't know this until a few weeks ago when he posted on his Instagram account that he's like, oh, this is a pretty maple. I got it from Mount Macedon somewhere. And it's like, <laughs> I know that tree. That was outside my bedroom window. So you've, you've told and Don. They, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they man- that's about the only thing they managed to not cut down, luckily. So they've obviously got some... Uh, no, that sounds like just luck. Uh, I think they might have got some advice not to cut that down hopefully mm. yeah but yeah. uh yeah there's you know rhododendrons that were you know it's just huge this is big mounds of things and beautiful mm. ones and um there was a lily of the valley tree there that was a good uh mm. 70 feet tall <laughs> and it had been cut down a few times mm. you know it had trunks uh you know nearly a meter thick on the on the lily of the valley tree and that was uh and 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 Planting silver birch, well, this, which are, are shallow rooted and come from Latvia and Lithuania and yeah. mm. pl- places that are not in the slightest, not even like Macedon, they the, hate the summer. The mm. thing is, though, I know for a fact there were two trees in there on the National Trust list that aren't there now. Oh no! And I'm wondering, do they have any teeth left? Like, is what's mm. what's the go with? Having what's the point of having something on the national trust list if someone can just go in and bulldoze a thing? But you find they get away with it, so especially with development, I think it's factored into the budget. They'll go and <laughs> they'll just bulldoze them, yeah, and they'll cop the fines, yeah, and that's it. It's just part so, of the budget, yeah, yeah. It, 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 just that. and if they're lucky, they they've got an extra, you know, they they don't get no one pulls them up on it and it just goes and no one cares, yeah. Mm. Um, 
but that was pretty heartbreaking to see. And, and as you say, that won't happen with Forest Glade. That's uh, mm. uh, hopefully going to be there for a long time. And, and with diggers, it's one of the good things about diggers that they're actually preserving some gardens, gardens as too, well. Yeah. Mm. yeah, really sad to hear that though. Um, but before we keep talking, I will open up the phone lines again because I've been told by Doug, our producer, that no one's called in for the Open Gardens Victoria tickets. So... If you'd like to call and talk to Doug or to go on air and talk to us, uh, we're waiting to hear your call. Uh, the number is 94190155 or you can text in on 0488809855. So, and the other thing that is happening at Forest Glade too, just before uh, we move on, is... Um, uh, a friend and I have sort of approached the the board of trustees up there to try and get uh, a little safe haven for rare bulbs. So I've just recently given up my bulb collection to a friend, um, and I was talking to him about it. And the idea is that basically, uh, any if anyone's growing rare bulbs, the idea is that we can collect. They can give us some seed or a couple of bulbs or something. Um, and we plant them in the garden, try and get them naturalised. This is a long-term plan. This is not something that this sort of pays back in five years. This is very exciting, though, and also exciting that people that know what they're doing are interested in doing this. Yes, yeah. So so the the idea is to have, you know, like a clump of, uh, I don't know, some rare fritillaria that's mm. naturalised in a little corner somewhere that doesn't get trampled by the huge crowds. Mm. Um, and, you know, even in 50 or 100 years' time, a bulb collector can go in and collect pollen or seed or if it's really rare and they've got permission, maybe even dig up a, the odd bulb or something uh, going into the future. Uh, uh, as I say, it's not really a short-term plan. It's more of a... But that's exactly what we need. We yeah. need some long-term plans. Be in a garden that's not going to get bulldozed. Yes, like exactly. Something that's exactly. Be and it's so... Um, with climate change, things are going to have to move. Mm. You know, there's just no question and... and it's important that we um, we recognise this. Well, I mean, really silly things. Like a, an example, like when I was in New Zealand one time, there was an island that had a possum on it, which they were just getting... Because it was an island, there was the chance to get rid of it because it was a pest. Turned out this possum is a threatened species somewhere in South Australia. Mm. And luckily somebody made the connection before they wiped them all out because mm. there was a distinctive genetic... Mm. Existence could that could be, you know, could be brought back, back yeah. into the, its natural habitat, and and you know, I mean, one doesn't, of course, blame any New Zealander for wanting to get rid no, of no. possums, but also making that we all need to be making that connection. I mean, I've got I've got one plant in my garden that I know is extinct in the wild. Mm. Well, I brought one in. That's oh, actually Ooh. extinct in the wild as well. So segue. Yeah. Yes, I like that. Let's let's talk about it. That's one of the lice matches. One of them we, we actually grow. We grow about five varieties, but uh, this particular one, the, um, the Minio rhizonensis, so it uh, comes off one of the islands off uh, off of Spain. So it's just in a small little pocket, and uh, yeah, just because of the development and that's going on on these islands, it's just been wiped out completely. Now go back so, to the name. So lysomachia. Um, so the well, common name is actually like lysomachia as well. It doesn't really have a common name. Um, but this particular plant, the, the, the foliage is nice, to, a nice sort of green basic sort of a leaf and you have these white sort of venuations all through it. 
um, which is probably you know, one of its main features because of the flower on it. It's not really, it's really insignificant. The, the flower is beautiful, yeah. Yeah, so um, it, it'll almost get up looks to like the, uh, the sort of uh, variegation you'd see in a, a cyclamen or, or something like that. Color wise, it's sort yeah. of a, a, a nice dark green and, and a silvery. Yeah, venuation, uh, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's quite striking, especially once it gets a bit more larger. So something it only gets to about, I think, nearly 40, 50 centimeters in height. That's flowering, so but your foliage will sort of spread out about forty centimeters mm-hmm. as well, so you, you do get a sort of decent sort of clump yeah. foliage. But it is a, a, a an annual or a biannual, right? So you got to collect the seed and you got to sprinkle the seed around, and and also seed in in punnets as well. So mm-hmm. I can get that guarantee that it's going to come through. Does um, it self seed in the garden for you as well? It or? does if the conditions are right. Mm. Yeah, but like I said, I always make sure that I sow some in punnets as well. So. So, and what are yeah. the conditions that it would like? So, this actually surprisingly likes a bit more shade. So, maybe a bit of morning, sun, afternoon shade, um, but more shade, the better. Mm. Yeah. And Could it, you spell the name so someone can look it up? So, it's L Y S I M A C H I A, and the other name is M I N O R I C E N S I S. Not an easy name. If my no. memory serves, they're, in the, they're related to primulas, aren't they? Yeah, it's there in the primularacy yeah. family, yeah. yeah. I think I used yeah. to grow a red-leafed one that's uh, a suckering ground yeah, cover. Yeah, it does. If, it can, if it's wet, yeah. it will run. But yeah. if it's dry, it's yeah, – So, it so I've introduced it, yeah. that up into Forest Glade recently and it yeah. quite likes it up there because we need plants like that up there because yeah. we've got 15 <laughs> acres yeah. of uh, quite shady undergrowth to fill up at the moment. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's called Firecracker, the, the red leaf yes. one that I've yeah, got. Yeah, we grow – that's one of what we grow yeah, as well, it's, yeah. it's a good plant. Though, it is, yeah. yeah. But this particular Lysomachia, I've actually given that to a few people as well to make sure that it's sort of circulating. It's a good thing to do. So, so yeah, I think if you're a plant collector, mm. one of the most important things you can do is share your plants. Well, that's it's it. It's not about hoarding and saying, I'm the only one with this. It's mm. like, and if I, you're still saying that after 20 years, you're doing it wrong. Well, if you lose it, <laughs> yeah, you've lost especially it. Lost it. with yeah. the restrictions of trying to get seed in and plants into the country, if we lose it, we've lost it forever. Yep. So we can't get it back in. Mm. I'd so. say most horticulturalists are like that, though. They're pretty open yeah, and sharing. So. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Once you get us chatting as well, <laughs> we love to chat about plants. So yeah. uh, if, you, if you know a horticulturalist and you, you want to appeal to them and you would like to become a, a haughty person as well, get talking and get sharing. Yeah, you've got to have that interest. Yeah. So, yeah, if you have that interest, then you can sort of go down certain fields. Yeah. Yeah. So this... I think it looks a bit like a fetonia, the the leaf. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, like Craig was saying, Greg was saying, it's like that sort of cyclamen sort of type of leaf. Yeah, it's got a a lot of. Or Clematis aristata when they're babies on the forest floor. Yeah, look like that too. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. but it's interesting, like especially the nursery because I have a decent sized patch of them. Um, It's something that sort of stands out. Yeah. So. Because it, uh, it just has that nice, interesting foliage. But the flower, like I said, the flowers, like it's just inconsistent. But it is, so. it is also wonderful to be growing a plant for its foliage and not for its flower. Because oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. no matter how brilliant the flower is, it's fleeting yeah. compared to the foliage. And so I think we all need to take foliage more seriously mm. than we tend to. Mm. Well, you do, mm. yeah. Did you like, say what size it gets to? So maximum, probably about 40, 50 centimetres, that's flowering. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you you your sort of foliage will sort of spread out around about sort of 30, 40 centimetres in width as well. Yeah, so, so it's so like you a little it, ground cover. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, it, it is an annual or a biannual. Okay. So you, you must collect the seed. Mm. Yeah. 
every every year, so yeah. and so and try and resell it. So that's a um, very important distinction to make. <laughs> well, that's it because, like I said, I mean, if we lose and, it, and collecting gone. seed is, I mean, it's a good thing to do. Mm. It is, yeah. But yes, if you're not the sort of gardener that has time to do that, not the plant for you. Well, make sure you've got it in good condition so it can reseed. Yeah. Where it is. So I often once say they dry out, I'll break half of it off and sprinkle it around and then I'll cover the other half or I'll break it off and put it in a brown paper bag and, mm. and sort of store it and then sow it in autumn. Yeah. Because so, that's one of the best things to, to best time to sow. A lot of these sort of spring sort of flowering plants is autumn. Yeah. So they can germinate and then settle uh, through winter and then start, when spring hits they start growing. So mm. they can start running then. And, and, and do it at their own time too rather than you saying, I reckon you should germinate now. They're yeah. sort of like, oh, I reckon it's time now. Yeah. And they usually... They're usually right, <laughs> and the plant really tells you what to do. Like it's it's very clear yeah. when the when the seeds are dry and yeah. ready. Yeah, no, they do. And, and look, and like I said, like I, I've given it to a couple of people as well, so you know that we can sort of start circulating it mm. as well. So, oh, we've had yeah. a caller want you to spell the the plant again. <laughs> it's uh, L Y S I M A C H I A. And the uh, genus name is, uh, it's M-I-N-O-R-I-C-E-N-S-I-S. And if anyone thinks he's just doing that, he's not. He's reading the label. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I think the names on the, if you go to the, the Garden Show Instagram or yeah. Facebook account, the, there's a picture, I think that's one of the pictures you sent in. So it I is, yes. So the name's yeah. on, on yeah. the picture And too, it's on so our Instagram as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And now that we've said it twice, if anyone wants to listen to the podcast, they can hear it again. Mm. <laughs> but we've got a couple of text messages, actually. Uh We've got a message from Kim. She's very happy because last weekend she won the open garden ticket uh, and she saw Acacia Ridge in Donvale yesterday. She said it's a great garden and lovely owners. On the way, she visited the Kevin Hines Fair Day uh, in Doncaster. So that's something that you could go to as well. Uh, she's now waiting for a break in the weather to plant her goodies and yesterday she saw that the Waverley Garden Club has five or six gardens open for free on the 5th and 6th of November. So that's a nice little uh, text in from Kim. Thank you so much. And we're so grateful to Open Gardens Victoria for continually giving us tickets. So much appreciated. Um, We've got another message from Mim in Clifton Hill. She says she's furious to hear of the people destroying heritage gardens. They need more protection. Could University of Melbourne at Burnley make noise, a lot of noise around this? Given that Melbourne University hasn't exactly preserved Burnley, mm. I think it's I, unlikely. It's got to go back to the councils and the government. Yeah. Mm, really. People are quite um, brazen these days. You know, they'll just do it. They don't mm. ask for permission. That's to say, it's part of their budget. It's happened mm. twice in the last year or so for Mount Macedon where two, the, the house I grew up in and, and uh, another property that was uh, a bit of a historical garden, they mm. just get flattened and then it's like you walk past and you go, what happened to there? And mm. then it's, it's already done. And it's too late. And, and if there's fines associated when you're spending a few million dollars on building a house and in you know, and mm. a new garden, what, who cares about, you know, a couple of tens of thousands of dollars fine or something or whatever it is, and, know, and if it's it not happens going to at be, all. And it's not going to be tens of thousands, unfortunately. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it seems they like... they get away with it. They yep. get away with too much. Yeah, it seems so. like money is the only real limiting factor. 
mm. to do with it. So, yep. you know, if they have enough money to pay the fines, then they don't care. No. no. I, I just find it very interesting that people think a new garden is going to be better than an old garden. It baffles me. Or why would you buy an old garden and then tear it down to build a new garden? Like, but then again, but see, I would find I would put this say for Kew or Hawthorne. Why do developers buy a Victorian house to knock down to put mm. up flats? There's hit lots of hideous sixties and seventies and eighties houses they can knock down money. or flats. <laughs> yes, and, and that's the thing we don't mm. build houses like they did fifty, sixty, mm. seventy years ago. Mm. I mean, they're beautiful houses and they will last for hundreds of years. And you don't have to do too much maintenance to them. You, these houses today, they, they're lucky to last 50 years. Yes. They'll start sort of falling apart to be And, of course, and the, other, the other thing too is that for preserving, I mean, a tree offers shade and shade is such a brilliant thing if mm. there's a, when we go back to having really, really hot mm. summers when mm. La Nina disappears and we're back to it. Well, and that's it too. So if you tear down a 150-year-old house, you can... At least, it's still not good, but at least you can reconstruct a house that looks exactly the same in a few months. Mm. Uh, mm. A, a, something similar happened up at Mount Masson. Yeah, but that's the key word, looks the yeah, same. Yeah. But that, mm. So a historical home up there burnt down a, a couple of years ago and they rebuilt it exactly the same. And you wouldn't know the difference from the outside now. Mm. Uh, it's an Edna Walling garden. The garden. Nothing happened to the garden. If that was destroyed... Then you, you cannot you, you can't reproduce that. You can't put that. that up in a couple of months, yeah. even if uh, you know something that looks like it, even if you know it's not it. Yeah, that's mm. a really valuable point to make. You can't replicate the the life of these trees, these plants. You so can't fake 150 years of growth. No, <laughs> you cannot. No. Yeah, and it's yeah to go and replant it. It's not the same. Yeah, and, and also yeah. you can't fake, you know, uh, tens or hundreds or millions of years of. Uh, natural ecology either by mm. knocking it down as well. So yeah. that's, uh, uh, we can be outraged about tearing down a 150-year-old garden, but it's it's not nearly as bad as uh, the I, constant destruction. I think the other thing is, is mm. a, a lot of people are not aware of on how much life is actually on that particular that particular tree. Mm. So there's just that much life on them. Yep. So you're taking all that and, and we're, we're starting to wipe all that out. So mm. yeah. And the other thing is to leave logs in your garden, mm. leave pieces of wood. Don't mm. tidy up too much. Mm. Leave pieces of wood for insects and fungi, etc. Mm. Yeah. And there, in the botanic gardens, there was a white oak that came down, which was a bit tragic, and they turned it into something yeah. rather beautiful, which all yeah. the kids are on. But it's just been completely covered by bracket fungus. It's mm. so fabulous, mm. so, and so people rarely see bracket fungus. No, yeah. not not, a, not in, when everything's cleaned up. Constantly. Not in an urban environment. Mm. So th- this afternoon, I've got to do a talk. At um, in Wood End uh, for the storm recovery uh, 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 day that's been organised from from the storms that we had last year, mm. um, and I was asked to do a talk on fungi there, um, but it's got to tie into the home gardeners. So the, the start of the talk will just be the fungi ecology one that I do. But that's exactly what uh, Virginia was saying: mm-hmm. is don't pick everything up like our. Uh, idea of what a, a nice garden looks like doesn't mean that we can't change our idea of what a nice garden looks like and picking up stuff constantly mm. and having everything like having a single species of grass covering you know a, a third or a half half of the property 
mm. and, you oh. know, just a monoculture and nothing there. Like, leave stuff on the ground where you can. and Or even just consider doing things a bit differently. Like, um, we live under mountain ash and they drop a lot of bark. Mm. Um, we have a fair amount of lawn and we try to just mow the bark because that way... Um, it stays. It, it, the, and those streamers mow up pretty well too, I reckon. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so at least then the nutrient content is yep. still there. Well, and You're feeding a lot of the, the mycorrhizae fungi and, uh, and bacteria, yes. which is what we really need in our soils. That's soil. what's making the soil. So, yeah, yeah. So, and that helps to sort of solubilize a lot of minerals that's yeah. in, in our soils that's not yeah. solubilized. So if you don't have these bacteria or these mycorrhizae mm-hmm. fungi, in the soil, then th- these minerals aren't available for the plants. Mm. So. Well, I used to do garden maintenance for clients as well. Similar thing, I'd get the deciduous leaves and use them as mulch on the garden bed. So you can still make things look neat and tidy, mm. yep. but you don't have to put everything in the bin. Yeah, mm. don't take it off the property. Mm. It's, it's, it's the oddest thing. Uh, spe- lawns are a perfect example of something that covers a huge area. It's a complete monoculture. It doesn't offer anything to insects or fungi particularly mm. or anything else uh and you mow it you remove the clippings and throw them out and then you're constantly feeding it and spraying it for stuff so it yeah, doesn't get eaten very by things strange. And but it's just really thing, strange yeah the other thing that i was alerted to recently by emmeline bowman on her instagram account was that many people get concerned about grubs that are in their lawn and there are you know the cockchafer beetle mm-hmm. that eats the roots and and many Beetles, larvae, eat the roots. But to be honest, uh, beetles are dwindling in their numbers and we need them. Hmm. So I'm sorry if your lawn's getting damaged, but it's not the largest priority. Get some dandelions in there and some yeah. little white daisies and stuff. So at least there's some colour. Feed. <laughs> yeah. So even feeding. Yeah. So, and, you know, the, the plant will actually produce more roots. So as it's eating, there's the plant's producing more roots. Yeah. Yeah. So you sort of... And get interested in those grubs. Like, have a look at them. They're pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what the – so the point of the talk that I will do this afternoon is, as I say, it's based in fungi, but the idea is instead of looking at a garden as some sort of controlled, uh, like, big giant pot plant, try and build an ecology in your garden mm. and have it so – a lot of it looks after itself. So you, you haven't got a monoculture where if you get – an aphid attack one year, it wipes everything out. Or, you know, if you get a fungal, uh, a bad fungus in there, it wipes everything out. You put all different, you know, try and keep the diversity up and encourage the the recycling fungi and the mycorrhizal fungi and the good insects as well, you know, so when the bad ones do come in, there's other uh, predatory mites and wasps and things that can help you out a little bit. And there's more birds if there's more insects which eat the bad stuff uh mm. as much as they um but as i say once you start spraying too many pesticides and fungicides around you're killing all the good stuff too and you should just creates a vacuum for you shouldn't spray them yeah. you there's no need to spray them so if you like you're saying with the the mycorrhizae fungi so having that so that promotes other other type of fungi uh mm. fungus in the soil like your, your trichodermas and your priscillus and all that which you know there's there's various of it so they kill over you know well trichoderma does over 30 well, 30, 40 different types of pathogens in the soil. So, and then you've got Priscillus. So, yeah. but you need that, the, the mycorrhizal fungus, so that actually kills off a lot of your, 
like your phytophthoras and your, your rust and your black spots because the f- spores are in the soil. Yeah, and it, so, it helps your trees yeah. be a bit more drought tolerant and yeah. have, as you say, healthier root systems. And, and so, even, yeah. a really silly little thing, but I've stopped using a spade. I use a fork. Um, well, especially the, under trees, yeah. You know, because I damage less. I'm not going to kill yeah. as many worms if I use a fork. So, by, yeah, it's say tilling the soil is probably not a good thing anyway. Oh, I don't till. Because you actually oxidise the soil. Mm. So that's where you release all the carbon. Yes, so I only, I only dig the soil when I'm yeah. actually planting something. Yeah, that's what and you And then I use yeah. a fork because I don't do as much damage to the worms. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. I think uh, tilling the soil is one of the worst things you could ever do. Yeah. So then mycorrhizal fungi and your bacteria don't like it. So mm, You break yeah. them but, up, but you break their connections. Yeah, yeah. But but it's funny less... though because everything we're taught to do in a garden, to get a garden to look like it's supposed to look, uh, is the worst stuff that you can do. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's like tilling gardens and... Uh, spraying things on on everywhere, so uh, so it all goes down to using like mulch. Mm. Um, I mm. mean, lucerne is a really good one because that's a, a good protein for a lot of your uh, uh, your, your funguses. Mm. So, and if you add a little bit of molasses or something through it as well, and a bit of uh, sort of organic sort of uh, liquid fertilizer, seaweed, yeah. So that that feeds it all. So yeah. that, so you need to start applying those sort of things instead of trying to till and raking up and cleaning up yeah. so just by adding and those things it chemical fertilizers can also encourage insect attack because basically you've got now a plant that's essentially overweight that's yeah. been eating junk food yeah. and all the sucking insects go oh that looks juicy mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah where if it's a if it's just healthy soil healthy yeah. rich soil the plant's healthy and and less prone to it yeah yeah mm. well we've got a caller on the line We've got Bernie from Lang Warren calling in. Hello, Bernie. Good morning. Welcome to the gardening show. How can we help? Yeah, I've got a couple of questions. Well, more than two, actually. Um, I've got you on speakerphone at the moment, but I'll, I'll leave it like that, yeah? That's all um, right. One we is salvia. Sure, you've got a salvia. salvia. I want to move a salvia. Is it worthwhile? Which salvia is it? Oh, I don't know. It's a red flowering one. Is it big or, or quite small? It's probably about um, a foot and a half high and about uh, two and a half feet wide. I would prune it before I moved it, but yes, oh, yeah, it is I'll worth do that, but yeah. it. But I, I would say you could move that. Hmm. Maybe do some cuttings first. So do some cuttings. Yeah. yeah so if yeah, you do I lose will. it, you've still got it. Yeah. yeah. But I, know, d- I doubt you'll lose it because salvias do move quite well. Mm. Oh, do they? Yeah. Oh, good. I wouldn't well, do it on these on one of these really wet days, though. Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, we've got a couple coming up, I think. Um, secondly, clivia. When the, the flower is finished, should you cut the um, stalk off or leave it? It's up to you, really. I mean, some horticulturalists suggest that it's good to let all the nutrients go back into the plant. So it can be good to just leave it there until it's really truly dead and then it's very easy to remove as well well the other thing too is if there's seed set Mm. and you're not interested in the seed then there's energy going into the seed production as well so you could remove Mm. remove you do get nice color in the seed as well yeah yeah Yeah. like leaving things do their process it depends what you like the look of but if you want to i i think there is a general rule that with daffodils and clivia and all sorts of things that you you might take the seed off because mm. you don't want 
energy to be going into the seed, you want it to go back into the bulb, but you don't take the rest of the flower off because it is feeding back into the bulb for next year. Mm. I mean, I think I think that is a general rule. It's good middle ground. But clivias do have nice seed pods as well, and they're quite colourful for a they long are. time. So mm. I'd go with that. Yeah. <laughs> and also, they're as hardy as hardy. Yeah, so if yeah, you if you did color. want to cut it off, it's highly unlikely that you'd find that the bulb got weak. Mm. Whereas it, with some of your other bulbs, it isn't a good idea. And the habit people have of tying daffodils up, I think, is idiotic mm. because that means it doesn't feed back into the bulb properly no. as well. Mm. Now, also, I've got, as far as an apricot from a seedling. Congratulations. And, mm. Yeah, and it, it, first year it, it's now got quite a few seed pods, um, potential fruit on it. But in the past, I've had about four, and they've all dropped off. Mm. I'd probably go back to testing your pH of your soil. Um, that, that's your first step. Um, and normally with a lot of your fruiting trees, uh, blossom trees, is when they start sort of producing the blossom, you want to spray, uh, spray it with boron um, and just spray the stems. Um, and then when your fruits are starting to sort of set, you want to actually spray the actual plant again. So you actually spray the fruit with a bit of boron. Um, because that's actually one of the, the key ingredients for, for it to hold its fruit. Um, but first things first is always check your pH first, because if your pH is actually out of whack, um, the pH in the actual plant, the sap pH is going to be out of whack as well. So you need to correct the soil pH, but then you'll need to sort of foliage spray the actual plant to correct the, the sap pH um, before you start applying uh, minerals like boron and, and trace elements and, yeah, and potassiums and all that, those sort of minerals because uh, you might find that if your pH is not right, then there's going to be minerals that are going to be antagonistic to uh, other minerals which will actually help it set, set fruit. Mm. Mm. So that's that's first priority is check pH. Okay, so you would spray the stalk of the tree? Yep. And then the whole tree? Uh, yeah, it's, you want to, it's more the, the previous season or this yeah this season's growth is what you want to spray because that's where your your stomates are going to be a bit a lot more active, um, and and then when like I said when you start getting foliage on it and your and your fruit starting to sort of set then you actually spray the fruit and the foliage. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Oh, that's boron. How do you spell that? It's just boron. So it's B O R O N. Oh, okay. You should be you'd be able to buy that from most um, the garden centres, so they yeah. should actually stock that one. <clears throat> Thanks very much. Yeah. Lastly, if I may, please, and take more of your time, <laughs> Lavender, on what, the ABC Garden Show, um, where you have <clears throat> patches of um, a lavender, and I've got a fairly large lavender, and little bits of it have died. Now, they did say there was something you can do to um, cure that. Oh. You prune it. Yeah, that's could be a number of things with that well, one. I mean, if you prune it out, you leave a big gap in the thing. And I think they said you can get over that by doing so and so, and I couldn't remember what they said. Yeah, usually with lavender, you got to sort of prune them when they're young, um, because once they go woody, you, there's no coming back. Because even if you prune back to where there's no foliage, they don't tend to sort of reshoot. Mm. So, um, there's so you nothing. suggest cutting it out. Yeah, cut the dead stuff out, yeah. And then just give the, the lavender a light sort of, uh, just a light prune and see if you can sort of stimulate more lateral shooting where you've got foliage. 
flowering at the moment, so I'd leave that. Oh, uh, look, I think you can still do it now. It's fine because mm-hmm. they, 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 they bounce back pretty quick and then, mm-hmm. and you'll probably find you'll get more flowers if you if you give it a light trim now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, well, I was going to say, I'll cut the dead bits out. That's what you mean, isn't it? Yeah, and flowering. then and also cut the plant as well. Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, a light trim, but make sure you've still got foliage. Yeah, but I don't want to take the flowers off because there's lots of bees around it. Yeah, okay. All right? Yep. Fair enough. Thank you very much indeed. That's all right, Bernie. Thanks for calling in. No worries. All right. Good afternoon. Thank you. Bye. Well, that was nice to hear from Bernie. Lots of good questions. Mm. Now we might roll on with some more plants. Greg, do you have anything you'd like to chat? Yeah, I'll get through a few quickly so he can get back to Ben's stuff. Um, First one which has just stopped, stopped smelling. It was still smelling when I got here this morning. It's a Gladiolus tristis, um, which you may see naturalised. Uh, it can be a little bit weedy, but it doesn't, for me anyway, it doesn't set seed. It's more the problem is where you see it's been uh, naturalised into our environment as a bit of a weed is where somehow a bulb has got, in a gutter on the side of the road. These are It's a floodplain species from South Africa, the floodplain mm-hmm. gladi. And somehow a bulb's got on the side of the road and it's established itself. If you leave it alone, it'll never move. So uh, it'll slowly increase in numbers and you might get a little patch of, you know, 30 or 40 flowering spikes. The, gr- the leaves are very grass-like and very thin. Um, and the flowers are a sort of... Um, a very soft, creamy white with these beautiful, the version I've got anyway, it's got this beautiful dark burgundy uh, uh, feathering on the outer, outer three petals. Um, and in its natural envir- environment, it's pollinated by moths uh, and it has this beautiful perfume at night time. So if you go out and smell it during the day, you won't really smell anything. And as I say, when I got here this morning, it still smelt, but it doesn't smell now. It's <laughs> technically still dark when we got here. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so anyway, the, the reason it's a bit weedy or can be a bit weedy in, uh, roadside gutters and things is that a bulb will establish itself there. These do produce these little pips off the corms, off the bulbs. Um, and one bulb might have a hundred little tiny, you know, wincy little pips. Smaller than mm. rice grains. It's just these little tiny pips on the sides of the bulbs. And if you get an excavator or, or a bulldozer or something come along and clean out the gutters, it smears these little pips all over the countryside, <laughs> and then 30 years later you've got several thousand of these things. Yeah. <laughs> That's how they're spread. Uh, a lot of oxalis are the same. If, you, if, you, if they were just left alone, they'd be fine. But, um, you know, you see them in cemeteries taking over, and it's because there's a bit of digging that goes on in a cemetery, and they <laughs> tend to get spread around a little bit. Makes uh, sense, doesn't it? Yeah. So, so Gladiolus tris is a really pretty one. I think one of the only places maybe you could buy it would be uh, from Jane Tonkin. Um, Tonkin bulbs. Yep. Uh, so, uh, but it's a, it's a really nice, and it's one of these things where to get the most out of it, you've got to go out in your garden at night time. Mm. And there's some really pretty gladys. There's Gladiolus lilaceus, which changes colour at night time as well. Mm. And plant them near the house. Yeah, somewhere where you smell So when you go out to look at the moon, you'll smell them. But be warned, they've got very sharp, needle-like, grassy leaves. And the leaves are about four inches longer than where the flowers are. So if you bend down to smell them, you often get poked in the eye with these sharp leaves. Yeah, you don't Um, want that. So the other plants, which I'll just grab... 
these are renowned for not smelling very good. Uh, <laughs> these ones don't, though. So uh, they're two uh, uh, arums that I bought in. Uh, one's arum hygrophyllum, which is a water-loving species. Um, it can range from uh, a foot tall to the one I've bought in this morning. I picked it more than halfway up the stem. It was over six feet tall. Wow. Uh, I've had this in a in almost bog conditions where it's nearly evergreen. It's not weedy at all. It doesn't spread round. Uh, it doesn't really set seed either. Um, the flowers are quite narrow, a very sort of pale uh, uh, greenish colour, um, and the spadix, which is a little finger in the middle of the flower, uh, is, is a bur- nice burgundy colour. And then there's this beautiful burgundy edging around the edge of the uh, the um, spathe, which is like the big petal. Did you so put them on? There's pictures on the on the Facebook and Instagram of this. Um, it's actually, is it? It's it's actually in danger, isn't it? In I a, think, it, it, yeah, in yeah. the wild, it, it might be. Yeah. yeah, and this is what we find with a lot of a lot of this stuff. Where yeah. you know, sometimes it might do well here, but yeah. where it came from, it's not doing well at all anymore. No, there's nothing left for it to do well in because it's all high-rise buildings or yeah, um, you know, agricultural land or something like that. So it's just lovely, and so that's called Aram Aram Hygrophyllum. Hygrophyllum. Um, I actually uh, sent Lizzie the wrong spelling at midnight last night when I was trying to get to bed. Uh, but I th- I've corrected it in the comments there, so uh, uh, it's, it's on, the, on the pages there. Um, that's, that's one we grow. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a And where does it one. come from? I'd be the Mediterranean somewhere. Do you know where? No, uh, I'm not exactly? sure, yeah. no. They, they do vary in, in those sorts of areas where they, uh, you can go a couple hundred metres and you've got a completely different species. Mm. Um, now, the other one I've got doesn't exist in the wild, uh, because uh, it grew in my backyard. Uh, it, it's a, a cross between, I think, it's a cross between um, Arum purpurea spathum and one of the Arum italicum hybrids, which aren't quite as weedy. think this might be a little bit weedy. It's, it's got the bit of potential. It's coming up in the garden where I've never planted it. Uh, so if you can imagine the nicer... Uh, Aromatallicum hybrids that have the mottled foliage, the beautiful leaf irrigations. It's got that. Uh, but instead of having pale green flowers, they're almost a black burgundy it's a stunning, flower. Stunning colour, isn't it's it? It's a really pretty yeah. plant. Uh, it's a good foliage plant. You the black want, flowers in amongst the beautiful, beautiful variegated foliage. You don't want to bring it, cut it and bring it inside because it doesn't have Well, the... this one doesn't... Uh, it doesn't... Purpurea spathum doesn't smell, and yeah. italicum only smells a little bit like urine if you stick your nose right in it. Yeah. So it's, mm. they're one of the least... The lesser smelling... Uh, both of these don't really smell no. that bad. And they the ones that do smell bad? Well, they're, I think they're better. <laughs> no, they, they're they're stunning, stunning, stunning flowers, yeah. but yeah. But they smell your... bad because they're pollinated yeah, yeah, by... Yeah, yeah, they're fly-pollinated. Flies. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so uh, uh, I have... Uh, I've sent some of this to North America, to my friend in North America, so it's, I've got it in the Northern Hemisphere now, and it, it recovered instantly and was in season within, I think, within a year it was in perfect sync in, into the mm. Northern Hemisphere seasons. Um, and I've just recently given a pot to Stephen uh, up at up at Dixonia as well, so hopefully uh, he might have some for sale soon. But it's... Uh, so it's I've named it Cygnus because... Uh, Cygnus is, means swan, uh, and I think yep. it looks like a bit like a black swan. But the main reason was 
the first black hole ever s- discovered was Cygnus X1. And so I thought that's oh, the first. Plant nerding yeah, yeah. and galaxy <laughs> nerding. Yeah, and <laughs> astronomers. Oh, that's uh, fantastic. So, so, yeah, I, was gonna, I thought the X1 was a bit silly, so it's just, yeah, Cygnus. Yeah. Well, since you mentioned Stephen, I just thought I would bring up as well that for people that um, follow his YouTube channel, I think it's called The Haughty Culturalists, um, he recently visited Jane Tonkin and it's really lovely if, you, if you're not uh, familiar with Jane Tonkin from the show or even if you are and you haven't seen uh, some of the amazing bulbs she has, Hop on YouTube and and look at the horticulturalists. It was YouTube the Aerostroniums too. Is up yeah. there. He actually mentioned he did one on aroids a few weeks back too. I think where he mentions the Cygnus, but he he hasn't got it in flower at, at the time he did the uh, the 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 video. But I think yeah, uh, maybe three or weeks, three or four weeks ago, he did one on mm. on arum, arums, the, yeah. the genus arums, and Fantastic. mentioned the Cygnus uh, pot. Well, there um, you go. We can. Uh, we can and the last couple, I'll get it out of the way. So, oh, you've got some. Sorry, we've That's got right. callers waiting, and I also will just read out some text messages. So, I had a clarification: the Kevin Hines grow sale that was mentioned by a text message, um, it was actually only yesterday, not today, but. One to keep in mind for listeners, Kevin Hines Grow does great work and sometimes has sales, so keep an eye on their Instagram and their website for future sales. Um, another listener has uh, texted in, they said, after Ben was last on the show talking about trace elements, I tried to find online references to read, but without much success. Could you please list some good places and references? Thanks, Paul. Depends on what they're actually looking, what they're looking for. Mm. Um, uh, I think one of them was definitely the um, potassium silicate. Um, I think it was more that they just wanted to find some references to read generally resource. about yeah. trace elements. Resource. It's uh, it's not easy because it does a lot, a lot of the research that I've I've looked into become very quite technical. Um, but if you look at, uh, I think. Is it the University of California? I think there was one there that actually has a reading on it. Uh, and I think also, I think one out in Newcastle in uh, New South Wales. I think they've actually got... Uh, University some, of Newcastle. Yeah. But otherwise, it's a Department of Agriculture, see, because it, the, um, the agricultural industry is using it a lot too. So because it's, uh, it's strengthening the, the, um, the, the cell structure in, the, in a plant. So well, a lot of farmers are getting better yield. So... Paul, perhaps um, we've got your phone number here and in the interest of expediency because I've got a lot of callers waiting, maybe uh, if you text in and let us know if you're happy to Ben for Ben to get in touch with you yeah. after the show. Yep, that's um, probably the best way. Yeah, yeah, just text in and say yes or no, Paul. <laughs> All right, thank you. Now I'm going to take a call from Ian in Sunbury. He has a question about his plum tree. Hello, Ian. No. Maybe then we should, um, in the future, actually see if we can work out some easy way, easier ways for some of our listeners to hello Ian get um, information on trace elements because it is obviously something people are interested in. Well, it's certainly I'd be using it a lot more. See, so you only needed to apply trace elements maybe once or twice a year. Yes, because uh, you can overuse them. You course. can, yeah, especially like molybdenum. Molybdenum is probably a, an element you've got to be very careful of because, you know, 
but it's essential element we need because it's not in our soils. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we'll try Robert from Mitcham. He is looking from, for some arborist's advice. Hello, Robert. Good morning, all. Hi, That's how are that. you? I'm quite, quite well. But, uh, look, uh, out here in Mitcham, uh, we were, we're on what we've, we've got a, a few trees that the council has uh, claimed to be uh, significant and they've been very kind to uh, grant us some money to maintain one of the trees. We've got a, a lovely big lemon-scented gum in the front. We've been looking after it for about 60 years and... Uh, we're, um, we've, we've got, got the money. We need to contact an arborist. Every time I try and Google arborists, I find lists after list after list of contractors who are quite happy to come and cut it down. Mm. Where do I find a, a good, reliable arborist? Try, I, I'm not sure if, I think it's a good place to start because I'm sure they'd give you some good advice for where you are if they can't do it. But there's a company called ArborSafe who look after forest glade so they basically they've gone through the whole 15 acre garden and catalogued every tree and they come up every year and uh assess the tree the tree's health and they're, they're very good very professional and they know what they're talking about they're they're as you say they're not interested in cutting your tree down they're in, interested in looking after the tree um so i'd, I'd try arborsafe first and if they can't do it hopefully from my dealings with them they're very generous with their knowledge anyway, and if they can't do it, I'm sure they might be able to point you in the right direction of someone in your area who could. The other thing, though, and on the, uh, the council's communication, they're saying to uh, try and get at least a level three arborist. Can you give me any information what that is? A little tree arborist. A level three. three. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I... Don't know anything about that sort of stuff. I'd say a level three would be just uh, uh, maybe their their course, so that they've actually done like so, a ticket that they yeah, can climb yeah. up a tree safely. Yeah, with, and a, with a chainsaw. Mm. Yeah, where to prune and, yeah. and those sort of things. So, um, I'd sort of, I don't know anyone. Yeah, I yeah. know of one arborist, um, Cameron Ryder. Um, he might be worth um, looking up. Visit. Uh, crrider.com.au and rider is spelt R-Y-D-E-R. C-R-Rider. Mm-hmm. But there, there is a big difference between someone that can cut your tree down and someone who actually go can go, this is better for the health of the tree if we do this and, and looking at the long-term health of the tree. Mm. Yes, as I say, we, we, we've been custodians of this tree for... Sixty years at least, and uh, we'd like to do something with it. Good. Mm. There you go. All right, panel. Thank you very much for that. Thanks. Thanks, Robert. Have a nice day. Okay. You too. Bye bye. Bye. And we have another caller. We've got uh, Mim from Clifton Hill. Hello, Hello. Mim. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, thanks for the fabulous show. Oh, Absolutely. Pleasure. Absolutely fabulous. Thanks for listening, my, even though I didn't manage to get us on air. That's <laughs> all right. Never miss it. Um, anyway, look, I have a problem. I'm having to leave um, and wanting to take a rose that's been in the ground for 30 years. Uh, it's been kept 
more by my browsing Native Companions. But <laughs> it's, it's already um, defeated one young gardener because he, he just said, oh, the roots go on forever. I'm, I feel because I know roses are so tough. Mm. I feel that if somebody with a, a sharp spade just went in and and, um, and and chopped it, you know, not too far from the, the base of the bush, mm. is survive. But that's that's not. I'm not a trained person. I just have lived with them. Um, what do you think? I think, I think if it was the right time of year, it might be okay. Uh, you could get away with it at the moment, but you just have to be a bit careful about how you went about it. Mm. Um, if it's got the problem now is it's getting its fresh new root growth at the ends, and if you damage those, you, you might uh, damage the entire plant <laughs> in a bad way. And and you need to you need to keep in mind too if. Uh, if you're chopping something off the bottom, you've sort of got to take it off the top as well. Uh, and, the and possums have balanced. done that, though. Yeah, yeah. That, so, very, so that's the one thing you've got going for you, yeah. is if it's already sort of yeah. uh, stunted and dwarfed from yeah. constant clipping, um, it, it, you know, if you dig a... If you pictured that rose in a tub, you know, whatever size tub you would picture that rose in, if you dug, yeah. tried to dig it out with that much root ball on it, uh, yeah. and kept it together pretty well and then gave mm-hmm. it a prune where necessary, you'd probably, yep. you know, even if it struggled for the first year, it'd come good, I would say. But it's oh, not okay, ideal. Okay. It's not. It's certainly not the best time to be digging it up. So, and you, no. you want, Mimi, you do need to go a little bit wide because the new roots are going to be quite close to the surface and they're very young and um, fine. So if you... If you draw a a fairly wide circle around it and then just chop into that circle so you've cut the roots clearly at that point and Mm. then go down, I think the long roots probably aren't quite as important as the new roots. So Mm. you want to try and preserve the the root ball, you know, Mm. the soil that's with it and take all of it into the pot. I'm pretty sure it would survive though. I, I agree yeah. with I agree with Greg. I think it will, and I think it's good to do it fairly soon. And mm. then just lots of sea salt and yes, and sea salt. keeping it healthy for the next uh, uh-huh. year or two until it comes good again. <laughs> oh look, thanks. I'll do that, and I'll report to you. Look, one other thing, um, I've been uh, asked to to choose a small deciduous tree um, for a normal west facing aspect in a small garden. Um, small front garden, um, I was wanting something that might have a slim trunk and something like a like a, a, a ferny foliage. You know, what my idea would be is there's something like a jacaranda that... that um, jacaranda like is not jacaranda. small. Mm. No, no, I don't mean like... I, I, mean, I mean a smaller tree that right. might have that... That feel of a jacaranda, but the jacaranda is going to get too big, and the trunk's going to get too big. But I'm just wondering if you had one of my favourite small trees that is coped really well during the drought for me, which I think is going to come back. So we might as well think about it. Is the Judas tree, mm-hmm. which is Circus siliquestrum, otherwise known as red bud? I nearly no. picked one this morning that uh, had flowers coming out of it. 
Um, it's important with your sursus. You've got some sursus that are from Canada and you've got sursus siliquestrum, which is from Palestine. You want the one from Palestine because you're planting it in a northwest face. Mm, much well, I don't know if I could live with you this in the front garden. But well, anyway. quite. It's a very beautiful tree and has a lovely flower, which, as Greg said, is just coming out mm. now. Ooh. The little pea flowers are all up the branches. Um, they're very, very pretty. Uh, pretty before the foliage. Uh, yeah. Any more? Any one more? Uh, crab apples are really good. Yes, you can pick all different shapes, sizes, foliage, flowers, fruit. Um, yep. so much to choose from, and they're really tough. And yeah. if you want the ferny foliage, I'm not that familiar with them, but I think there's a smaller gladitia that yeah. might uh, might fit what you were sort of talking about. So um, yeah, I was going to suggest how do you spell that? G L E D gled and there's another one called Albitsia. They've both got Zs in them. Oh, no, mm. Gladitsia is an S. Mm. Albitsia, which is very like a um, a jacaranda. Mm. So you might look, I'm not sure how big the Albitsia gets, but I think, it, see, it wouldn't grow for me up in the Yarra Valley, but it'll grow for you in Clifton Hill. Mm. Mm. Oh, thank you so, so much. So there's a few good ideas there. It's, yeah. it's, it's funny the names that plants get landed with, isn't it? I, I look at a lot of David Austin roses and they've all got quite miserable names, not all of them, <laughs> but, you know, testimony is so beautiful, but I don't want to be reminded of it. <laughs> well, the nice thing about the Albizia is that's uh, a Persian silk tree and that actually has a really beautiful flower as well as nice, soft, ferny foliage. So uh, definitely have a look at that. Oh, look, I love you all. Thanks so much. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Pity the uh, Calliandrias don't grow down here. They're, they're another beautiful little, small, little mm, I don't know shrubs. that. Which is that? Well, they're very similar flower to an Al- Albizia. So mm. they're, but you get bright reds and you can get whites and pinks. Mm. And what was the name? Calliandra. But they're more north. Yeah, yeah. yeah tropical. Yeah, Queen so the Sydney, we used to sell them a lot when I was working in the nursery up in yeah. the central coast there. So we used to sell a lot of them. Mm. Yeah. I've had a request from our producer, uh, Ian, if you're out there listening, could you please call back on the outside line? Um, Doug is happy to take your call. And we've got a lot more text messages as well. So um, we've got, uh, thank you for your program. My question is, when do you take cuttings of echium? Mine is flowering now. That's Josephine. I, I never do because mine seeds and I find it popping up all over the it's place. I don't think I've ever heard of taking no. an echium cutting before. No, I'm seed. Not sure. Yeah, yeah it's, it's seed. It's yeah. Very seedy sort of plants. Um, yeah. Some are what uh, they usually. Some are monocarpic and yeah. Others are uh, yeah. The blue ones that we tend to be seeing at the moment yeah. are not. Uh, if you gather the seed, I'm sure that would be better. Yeah. yeah. But I'd, I'd be getting the other the paintbrush out and just sort of try and pollinate it, so you, you can guarantee that there's been pollinated. Yeah, I don't think so you need to worry. You don't. No, they do attract a lot of insects, yeah. but yeah. So we do have another text message. Uh, morning. Could you advise the contact info of the lady who has an espalier business? It was mentioned in one of the shows, but I lost the number when I wrote it down. Thanks, Evelyn. Well, I don't know a lady that has an Aspelia business, but I do know of Merrywood Plants. Mm. Um, they're in Baxter, Victoria. They are a wholesaler rather than a retailer, So, um, but uh, you could still get in touch with them. 
Do, do any of you know a, a woman with a no, spellier business? I think if they go into the local nursery and, and yeah. ask for, for – if they're after something particular, then mm. – And the other yeah. thing I think we can do is put it out to the other two people yeah. who do the show and they might remember, A.B. Mm. or Chloe. Mm. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, sorry we couldn't be of more help, but hopefully you'll get in touch with someone at the nursery – who knows a bit about Aspelias? Uh, we've got another caller. Uh, we've got Ian from Sunbury. He's back. Hello, Ian. Oh, hey, you going? Yeah. Hi, how are you? Good, good, good. Uh, look, I've got a, a, a real issue with uh, a couple of young plum trees that I, um, I got a couple of years ago. Um, they've uh, they've been looking pretty good, and uh, one uh, uh, and. Uh, but I've been away for a while, and I've just come back, and uh, one of them has uh, all the most of the leaves have all wrinkled up, and they look sort of really wrinkled and burnt. Um, and uh, it, this particular plum tree's got, actually got a, 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 its first fruit coming on, um, but the tree looks absolutely terrible. Um, I've just noticed it, I'm at the tree now. I've just noticed it's got a bit of smell there. But um, it, it just uh, looks like, um, yeah, it looks like the leaves have been burnt or something, um, and they, they're all wrinkled up. Um, there's a couple of uh, fresh I'd leaves say it's coming pear up. And cherry slug. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, or leaf curl. So yeah. could be sort of part of it. Um, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. There's nothing. You, you can spray with a. Um, but no. But let's first check whether there is a. Have you looked at the leaves to see? Because the pear and cherry slug is a really tiny little black thing. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so have uh, a look uh, for that. Yeah, I can't. I can't see. Because I, I do wonder whether it, given the situation we're in, whether it's sitting in too much water. Mm. That's mm. what I was thinking. Yeah. It, so the the leaves that have dried off and wrinkled are they? It's all still intact on the tree. It's just dried and wrinkled on the tree. Or... Yeah, that that's correct. Yeah, okay. look, yeah, as we know, we've had a lot of water. Um, the other the, the other tree is just uh, it was I've noticed is just starting to get similar things on the end of the on the end of the leaves, and I've been pulling them off. Um, uh, and it's it's actually got its first fruit as well um, down the bottom. So um, you've had a I good know, look at the leaves to make yeah, sure there's no pest I'm, on the leaves. I'm, I, I, there was a snail on it, but uh, no, snail's um, not the problem. No, uh, and and are you in a spot where it's quite wet? Oh like yeah, yeah. Rest- look, I've got it built up. I I I I, um, I, I, I dug a bit of a hole, but I, I, I built it up with with soil and, and you know um, to try and get a bit more drainage happening. Um, Have uh, you got um, mulch up around the trunk? Around the no. base, yeah, because no. cholera can no. do that too. No, no, there's no, there's no, there's no mulch around the bottom of it. But I'm but if you looking... had to build it up, I would suggest that we have had more. I mean, my place is squelching, and it hasn't squelched in sixteen years. Yeah, yeah and no, I have not. lost. I've lost some grevilleas, which I'm sure I've lost because they've just got wet feet. Mm. I yeah. I think you've probably got wet feet. If, yeah, if, okay. if you, if you can't see, that, yeah, yeah, there's a good chance it's wet feet. And if you can't, I mean, pear and cherry slug is obviously, but you'd be able to see that. Yeah, okay. Oh, there's no, there's no little black bugs or anything like that on it. There's there, there's no sign of any. No, like I think I, I suspect it's wet feet. And if it's wet feet, there's nothing you can do except hope it stops. I think mm. the other thing is just right. building the immune system up, so fertilise. 
Mm. Yeah. So that's, that's what was that? Fertilise. You need to build your immune system up, so you want to prevent all yep. that from happening. So there's definitely a yep. fungal problem happening there somewhere. Um, yep. Even if it is an insect, if you build the immune system up, you're going to yes. get good sap flow. So if you can build sugars up in the plant, um, mm-hmm. the if there's an insect, it'll actually it'll either move on or you'll kill the insect because it, it ferments in their stomach and then turns yep. into alcohol and dies off. Mm. But if I it's did f- give it a feed before I went away about three three weeks ago. So I gave it a feed with um, some uh, pelletised cook manure and a, a bit of a handful of um, uh, what's the name uh, 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 potash. Okay, um, check your pH yeah. your soil. So go and check your pH your soil. Right. Okay. Yeah. So if yep. your pH is actually not correct, then your pH yep. in your plant is not correct. So yep. that's when all your fungus and all your insect is going to start. Affecting the actual plant, so there's there's a but the there's certainly an chook, immune system. The thing with chook manure, it is very alkaline. Mm. Okay, yeah, right. It's mm. you, your yeah. sheep and your cow is not, but you don't give it chook right. again. You mm. only give chook occasionally. I only small amounts. You can give a yep. lot of chook to vegetables because most of your vegetables want alkaline, but quite a lot of yep. your trees want acid. So mm. I would, I think Ben's hit it there. Do check your pH. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, yeah, you can get the pH testers uh, wherever. Just at the supermarket, at the um, hardware shop. Yep, any any nursery should have it. So Yeah, any yep. nursery or yep. most of that, and the hardware shop yep. will have it. Yep, 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 yep. So check that and what uh, that'll have all the instructions and tell me what, what the proper, proper levels it's, are. Yeah, it's very, It's you might need to just look up, I can't remember what plums want, you can yep. just look that up online. Yep. Yeah, yep. slightly acidic, yep. but yep. you find if it, if it is a pH factor, then... You actually correct the soil, but if you can actually mix whatever you're using up in a spray bottle, spray the plant as well. Because if yeah, you don't spray um, the plant, you see the, the minerals that change your pH of your soil is actually going to move very slowly throughout the plant and the soil. So yeah, can, if you don't correct them both, then you're not going to get results with it. And I would, I'd go easy on chook. Yeah, fertilizers for mm. your garden. I think you need to remember that they're very mm. alkaline. Mm. Okay, all right. I'll I'll uh, I'll try and uh, yeah. Well, I won't use it again. Uh, I'll try and use um, uh, fruit, you know, proper fruit uh, uh, fertilizer. Or, 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 any... or if you see cow or sheep, yes, that's it's it's very natural. There's nothing synthetic about yep. it, mm. and yep. it can just and it's it will not make your soil alkaline. Mm. All right. So uh, so pH test. Um, and then uh, find and, out what the pH is. And um, pray. And pray that they're not going to bloody t- turn the... Okay, all right. Oh, boy. Good I'm luck. Something okay, thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Ian. Thanks. Bye. All right, so we've got a couple more text messages. Um, uh, texter writes in, There are red calandras at the Melbourne Botanic Gardens that flower very well. I mm. think they even had a few at the plant sale yesterday. Yeah, they're beautiful plants. Yeah. So, so there's one for who was our caller earlier? Um, that we From looked, Clifton Hill, it was Mim. Yeah, yeah Mim. Yeah, there you go. They Maybe don't like frost. If you so, go to the plant yeah. sale, Clifton Hill, she'll be safe. Yeah. yeah if you yeah. go to the plant sale, you might pick up a calandra at the Royal Botanic Gardens. And then a text message with regards to Ian's plum. Two of mine have always done this and I've investigated and tried treatments for years. I finally decided it's frost damage in my case. After getting up early and tracking heavy frosts and the consequent damage, the leaves look terrible but get replaced once frosts finish. Beck in Stanley. 
Well, that's interesting. Stanley, mm. of course, is a lot colder, but it could well be. Mm. It could be frost. Interesting. Yeah. Yes, I didn't think of that. Mm. Don't know why. It's been an obvious year for frost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, before we do one final plant, because we are coming up to the end of the show, uh, we did have a question from the last week's show that didn't get addressed, and it was from John in Ferntree Gully, and he'd like to know about greenhouses. Um the sizes, the shapes, the heating and the flooring. Uh, anyone familiar or have... Can I just quickly say, not just the heating, the cooling. The cooling. Get mm. your greenhouse through the summer. Remember that. Yes, mm. ventilation and shading are also important. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and, it really depends what you're growing. The ventilation like... too. Keep in mind which way your prevailing winds come from and where the sun is in the sky and don't put it... Uh, if you want it functional, like properly functional, you're not just popping it somewhere for aesthetics. Mm. You've got to actually face it the right direction and run it the right direction. And uh, Does anyone have any uh, websites or anything they can recommend for greenhouse information? Mumbok Rural is probably yeah. their best. Um, they they um, build them. They do hot houses, all those sort of things. Yeah. It all d- depends on how they're using it, how, mm. how they want to yeah. use it. Yeah, it's so, a hard question to yeah. answer if we don't have specific information. Yeah, but it's a conversation that needs to sort of continue with questions. Monbulk yeah, rule. Monbulk mm. rule, yes. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, we've got time for one more plant. Anyone? Anyone want to ben. jump in? Yeah, I brought this Favudium uh, in. Um, it's uh, uh, one that's called uh, Crispatum. And it, this one here comes from uh, there's China, uh, Korea, and Japan. But the main feature of this one is is actually how it's crinkly the leaf is. So you you get this beautiful, really tight crinkle on the margin of the plant with a, a sort of leathery, sort of pinky, sort of tinge through it. So it's actually sort of quite sort of quite pretty as it's sort of coming through. Fafujium. Yeah. So what, what's that's a the, fun uh, name. What's the uh, species name? The Japonicum. Japonicum. Yeah, 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 Crispatum. So it is a cold I thought it was gonna, I, I, yeah. As soon as I saw it, I thought uh, uh, Cristata for yeah. some reason. <laughs> yeah, so. but the leaf is absolutely beautiful yeah. when it's, uh, yeah, they're starting to come through. They take a while for them to do that. So when from, from a cutting, they will take about two years before they start doing that, the, the crinkly sort of effect with the leaves. But when they do, they're, they're just mm. they're quite stunning. And so. Ben will be at the Yarra Valley Plant Fair. Yes, Yes, so and we'll have all these plants there. You'll see some of those plants there if yeah. you come up to Wandon. Yeah. yeah, and with the Fafurgians, we we've got a quite, a, quite a range of them now. So mm. I think we have about nearly uh, six varieties, seven varieties, I think. So, And they've all got their own unique sort of style. Do they flower? So they do. So they actually come, surprisingly, they come from the Asteraceae family. Mm. So they do get a, a like a, a daisy flower. Oh. So And the spike will stand up about a metre and 1.2 in height. And then you have these little daisy flowers sort of coming off it, which are probably about the size of a like a fifty cent piece, um, maybe a little bit bigger. Bigger. So, so that's so. actually quite a reasonable flower. It is, yes, yeah. yeah. And you I do th- get numbers of flowers. I think it looks a little bit like a rhubarb. It's got that similarity, hasn't it? Mm. Yeah, with the, with the foliage. Mm. So yeah. Really beautiful. They are, yeah, and hardy as mm. well. So and we've got some varieties which will handle a bit more sun, but this one needs a shade. Yeah. Well, that was a wonderful plant to end on and we get to finish up the show with a real stunner. Thank you all of you for being in today. I've had a great time chatting with you and all the questions from the listeners. It's been wonderful. Um, Yeah, we hope all the listeners out there have a lovely Sunday 
going forward and yeah we look forward to seeing you next time my name's emma hurd and uh, i've had ben booker greg balderston and virginia haywood in the show in the um studio with me and uh thank you to doug for being our producer and liz for doing the socials we'll look forward to uh sharing the show with you again soon bye